1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Nothing less for God than blood would satisfy God for an atonement. Nothing less than blood would satisfy the rage of his enemies. Nothing less for God than blood would satisfy his need for atonement. Now, all right. But he didn't end, thank God. He didn't end his explanation with just that he's going to be killed. He moved on. He moved on to say in verse 23, and the third day, he shall be raised again. So now we see him looking beyond. He's looking beyond. He's looking far beyond his death. He's seeing beyond his death to the resurrection, and it's an encouragement for him. It's a joy for him. And the joy that's described is in Hebrews 12, too, Hebrews twelve two, where we're told, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross because he was focused on the joy that was set before him. And that scene of Jesus enduring the cross from the, because of the, the, the joy that was laid out in front of him, we are told to copy that, copy that. It says in Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews 12.1, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Now, that, those, those, that verse there, those verses are talking about a great cloud of witnesses. And you say, who's those? Who are those people? Well, we've just come off the heels in Hebrews 12. We've just come off the heels of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, the great God's hall of faith. And in each one of those persons in that great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told to consider, consider, consider Abel. But uh, consider Abel, who by faith offered uh, a blood sacrifice to God, which God required. Consider Enoch, who by faith pleased God. Consider Noah, who by faith made an ark. Consider Abraham, who by faith left home. Consider Sarah, who by faith had a baby when she was 90 years old. Consider Abraham, who by faith offered Isaac. Consider Isaac, who by faith blessed Jacob. Consider Jacob who by faith blessed his sons. Consider Joseph who by faith called for his bones to be taken out of Egypt. Consider the parents of Moses who by faith hid the baby. Consider Moses who by faith refused to be king of, of Egypt. Consider Moses who by faith left Egypt. Consider Moses who by faith sacrificed the Passover. Consider the Israelites who by faith crossed the Red Sea. Consider the Israelites who by faith Circled the walls of Jericho that it fell. Consider Rahab who by faith hid the Jewish spies. Consider Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who all by faith did many great things. So after listing all these great people of faith in chapter eleven in in in, in Hebrews. Chapter 12 opens up, says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are those great cloud of witnesses? I think there's none other than the people who were just listed in, in in chapter 11. They're watching us. We're on display in front of them. We're told to realize that we're on a stage of life and that there's an unseen audience you can't see it And most of the time when you're on a stage and those lights are in your eyes, you don't see the audience. And that's us. We're on the stage and we don't see them but they're watching us and we're encouraged. Put on a good performance for them. Put on a good performance for them. Don't disappoint the great cloud of witnesses because they're the unseen audience and they're watching us in our lives. Just imagine that they're in the front row on the, uh, on, on, on the stage that we are performing our life act on. And there sits Abraham and David and Samuel and the prophets and they're watching us in our lives. And so the word that's behind each one of those great people of faith is consider this one, consider that one, consider the other one, consider, consider, consider. And so, and it says that we are encompassed about, in Hebrews 12, 1, with such a great cloud of witnesses. It says we are encompassed about. That sets the scene for us that want a circular stage where people watching for the back, people watching for the front, to so say you've seen those circular stages. And we're performing our life acts on those circular stages circular stage there and realizing that we're being watched by this great audience that encourages us to, to, to identify in your lives, the weights, that are dragging you down, identify in your lives, the, the sins that are tripping you up in life. And once you identify them, we're told, throw them overboard, get rid of them out of the ship. They're hurting you. We're told that we're in a race that we can't afford to carry anything. That's going to weigh us down in our trip. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And we're told that God has set this race before us. He set us in a race. It's a life race. And he set it there. It's as if God God created a lane for us. There's your lane. It's got your name on it in the race. And God has set it there. And we have a choice. Are we going to step up and participate in this race of faith? Or are you going to say, no, it's too much trouble in life. I think I'll have lunch instead. Uh, it's, and all the while the unseen audience is watching us and they're, and they're, 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 they're holding their breath. Can he enter the race or not? Will he enter the race of faith or not? Will he throw off the weights that are distracting him from the race? The, the weight of going after the riches in life, the weight of being burdened down with all the, I've got to do this, i got to do that, i got so many things to do, I'm so impressed. And the unseen uh, audience watches. Will he cast off those sins that trip him up? We've seen those sins trip him up so many times. The unseen audience watches and asks. And then we're told as we're in the race, focus on Jesus. Focus on him. Focus on how he ran his race of faith in his life, which was a race of endurance. He had to endure the cross. He had to endure the sinners that were against him. In Hebrews 12, 2, Hebrews 12, 2, look unto Jesus, the author of Finisher for our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, set down at the right hand of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. He endured because God the Father set something in front of him, which was the joy. Hebrews twelve two, to Hebrews twelve two, the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. The joy. Was the joy of the resurrection? He he was focused on the resurrection, and he could say, therefore, to his disciples in 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 twenty verse twenty two or twenty three, "The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again." Triumph! He's he he he's uh, a it's a it's a triumphal time. it's like, like you can hear the music of uh, Richard Rogers wrote that theme for victory at sea and you can hear the, the music now from the, when he says that. He's explaining this. He's explaining the, the, so, so that we, he's explaining it so that we could see him using the joy of the resurrection to make him able to endure being betrayed and killed, the cross, the shame, And it's all, he says in verse 23, the third day he shall be raised again. You say, you know, it's a to him Death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. Well, that's, that's not the only joy. That's not the only joy that was set before him. The resurrection for him was not just the joy of him rising from the dead. The resurrection was also the joy of him leading others through resurrection to glory, as it says in Hebrews 2.10. Hebrews 2.10, it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering is 1 Corinthians 15, 20, this is a joy, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, and now Christ has risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that's left. For since by man came death, by man became also the resurrection from the dead. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. That was a joy for him. Uh, they hoped, the disciples had hoped, maybe all the talk about being betrayed and killed was just temporary It's really not gonna happen. But the more he spoke about it, the more it began to sink in what was going to happen. I mean, for the disciples, switching back to now the disciples, how they're thinking, their leader. I mean, this is this is their leader. I mean, it was for their leader that they'd left their families and their homes and their occupations to follow him. He'd called them individually. The calling all happened. It was especially on this one day when Christ took a walk along the lake in, in Galilee, and he comes across Peter and and his brother Andrew, and they're just doing their job. They're casting a net into the sea. And all of a sudden he comes, and in Mark 1.16, Mark 1.16, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, you saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, and Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, I'll make you to become fishers of men. They straightway forsook their nets and followed him. He proceeds further on, he sees two more brothers, they're just sitting by the seashore, they're, they're sewing up the holes in their nets, they're mending their nets, their father's waiting in the boat. Some servants are waiting in a boat. All of a sudden he comes on these two brothers and, 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 and he calls them and those two brothers, without saying a word, just walk away from their nets, their father, their boat, everything. Mark 119, Mark 119. and he had gone a little further thence. So he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother who are also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them. He, they left their they left their father Zebedee in the ship with their hired servants and went after him. Later on, he's walking in a city. He's passing by. He sees a tax collector. He's sitting there at a table. He's collecting taxes. He's doing his work there. And then one look, Christ calls that man to follow him. Without that man making any provisions for closing up shop, the man just gets up from his seat, follows him. Matthew nine nine Matthew nine nine as Jesus passed forth from thence he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom and he saith unto him follow him and he rose and followed him just like that then the Lord was walking along he sees a, a, a he, 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 he he he's actually looking for a person he's looking for a person named Philip and he finds Philip he he says follow me John 143 the day following Jesus would go forth John 143 uh, into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, follow me. Philip uh, with us Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, saith unto him, we found him, of whom Moses and the law of the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. See, in all these cases, he invites those men to simply follow him without any hesitation, without any provision, without any farewells. They get up, they follow him. With that one call, follow me, their lives are forever changed. They left all the familiar and the known for the adventure and the unknown. They left all the security of family, of jobs, of money, a predictable future for the opportunity and the privilege to be with the Messiah who'd come down from heaven. In an instant, each person compared his life and this path that he was on with an opportunity for a new life with the Messiah. And each one of them, no deliberation, no question, They gave up the old life. Just like that, they follow the Messiah. And it didn't matter what they were walking away from. A net that represented their skills, the way of earning money in life, all they've ever known, a table that represented authority and collection of money and a portion of that money for them. A net, a table, a boat, a father. Those men all walked away from it in an instant for the opportunity to follow Christ. As a matter of fact, those were the terms that the Lord laid out. He said in Luke 14, 33, Luke 14, 33, so likewise, whosoever who be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And Peter expressed it well when he spoke for a group in Matthew 19, 27, Matthew 19, 27, then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What should we have therefore? That was Peter's question. We've we've forsaken all and followed you. What do we get? And if you think about what Peter was saying, he was speaking for the group. He's saying, "You look, you called us to follow you. We followed you, and when we did, we left everything behind. We didn't think about it. We just, we just, we, we saw the opportunity of a lifetime. We went. We're 100% committed. We're not turning back." <clears throat> and then, what is not said, but what he's really meaning here: now you are the person we're following, and you've told us that that now you're going to be betrayed and killed so that's our future we're going to be betrayed and killed and this is what peter meant when he said you know we've forsaken all and 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 what do we have therefore it was not that peter was challenging them uh challenging the lord rather he wasn't accusing the lord of misleading them he just really wanted to know he said they knew he was the messiah they knew that the messianic kingdom meant that no more roman occupation for israel and they figure that they're gonna play some role in that. But he didn't know. So he asked uh, he asked the Lord and the Lord didn't ignore Peter's question. The Lord said went on in Matthew nineteen twenty eight Matthew nineteen twenty eight Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, he shall also sit upon twelve tribes, twelve thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone that hath forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life, everlasting life. So when the disciples heard them speak of the regeneration in Matthew 19, 28, Matthew 19, 28, of the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne, the disciples understood that, oh, it's all about the regeneration, Now, that was a surprise for them to hear about the regeneration. For the disciples to hear about the regeneration was like a, 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 like they got on a bus without looking at the sign at the top of the bus. They just got on it. And when they heard the regeneration, they felt like the, okay, the bus stops. They all get out of the bus. They look up and say, oh, yeah, we're on a bus that says we're heading toward the regeneration. And then they had a choice get back on the bus and say, well, now I know where the bus is going. We're going to the regeneration. Or they could decide to to, to not get back on the bus and do what many did in John 6:66. 6, John 6:66. 6, From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus said unto the 12, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the, Lord, the words of eternal life. We believe thou art and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. No one was forced to continue to follow Christ. No one was forced to stay on that bus. And many of the disciples decided not to follow him. And at that point, they got off the bus. But at that point, the Lord turned back to the 12 and said, you want to get off the bus too? And in, in John 67, John, Jesus said, twelve, will you go away also? And Peter speaks for the group. He says, well, who am I going to go to? Who are we going to go to? He says, you have the Lord, words of eternal life. Peter is... Peter is saying about what bus? What bus are we gonna get on? There's no other bus here that has eternal life on the top of it. And at that point in their journey with Christ, it was a process. It's a process for them to come to understand the regeneration, the regeneration. And this is all what he means about the third day he shall be raised again. He He wants them to understand the resurrection, the regeneration. But all they heard about is he being killed like 11 years ago, when 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 I when I had cancer and I and I had to go through chemotherapy and it and I was told you all get better, that's what I was told. But all I heard is I you got cancer and you got to go through chemotherapy, and that was sad. I have to go through the chemotherapy part was the only thing I heard. That he shall be raised again in verse uh, 23. That kind of got lost in the they shall they shall kill him part of verse 23 that 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 you're going to get better after cancer it kind of got lost after the you're going to go through chemotherapy but the but the disciples didn't get off the bus they didn't get off the bus peter said in matthew 26:35 matthew 26:35 peter said unto them though i should die with thee yet will i not deny thee likewise said all of the disciples see the great the great part about the disciples the terrific part about the disciples is it that, is that when they learned that they were on a bus that that is going to go through a rough spot where their leader was going to be killed, probably meant they're going to be killed, that, that, that their bus is, going to, bus is going to go through a rough spot. But the destination of the bus on the top says the, the regeneration. The great part is they didn't get off the bus. And, and that shows us how teachable the disciples are when they learned that their leader is going to be killed and probably them also, that, that they said, okay, we're not happy about that. As a matter of fact, we're pretty sad about that, but that doesn't change our decision. And, and, and whether in life or death, we decided to follow Jesus. We're not turning back. We're not turning back. And what the disciples were hearing from the Lord say when he talked about this being killed, they were beginning to understand that how the Lord was there, Revelation 5.5, 5. Revelation 5.5, 5. behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, And they were beginning to also understand how their Lord was also, John 1.29, John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So the Lord becomes the Lamb of God. He becomes the Passover Lamb of God. And Moses told the congregation about the Passover Lamb of God in Exodus 12.21, Exodus 12.21, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families. And kill the Passover. He said the Passover lamb served no purpose alive unless it was killed. The destiny of the Passover lamb was that it had to be killed in order to take away sins. And if the Passover lamb was not killed, it did not take away sins. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless it's, killed, unless it's killed. The sacrifice must die. And this is what the Lord was telling the disciples in, the, in verse 22 and 23, the son of man shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they shall kill him. So the Lord is preparing his disciples for what's coming. And frankly speaking, the Lord could not find hearts that understood him at this time. The Lord was like, when he gave the, when he was saying this, was like he's testing the water, testing the waters to see if the disciples are gonna, are, are gonna get it, that he's gotta be killed and he's tested the waters and he said, okay, he, saw, he says to himself, not yet, but John 6, 12, John 6, 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. But they would. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bearing with us and uh, being patient with us and helping us to come along. Lord, as we all want to stay on your bus, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.